You are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 47. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. Today's guest is Nick Armentrout. Nick is the wool supply and supply chain leader at Rambler's Way based out of Kennebunk, Maine in the US. Rambler's Way is a men's and women's fashion apparel retailer. Rambler's Way was founded by Tom Chappell, who is best known as the founder of Tom's of Maine Natural Toothpaste. Nick will tell us all about how Tom Chappell ventured from natural toothpaste to wool clothing in today's show. Welcome, Nick. It's great to be talking to you today. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well, Elizabeth. Thank you for inviting me to be part of the Wool Academy. Great. Thank you so much. And we're excited to have you. Let's start by you telling us a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do. Well, thanks. Um, I uh, am in charge of our the, the fiber sourcing and manufacturing supply chain for Rambler's Way. Um, we're a company that was begun in 2009, and uh, our focus uh, from the very start was uh, right on wool fiber, and uh, uh, been involved from the ground up uh, initially initially um, working with us ranchers to source fiber and then all of the different um, processors in our us based manufacturing supply chain um, i'm not a classically trained uh, textile professional i've i've learned on my feet my point of intersection with Rambler's Way is really agriculture. Uh, I've been involved with animal agriculture in particular going on 30 years. Um, so um, that was my interest. And I, I've just always been a, a, a consumer of wool. Uh, here in the Northeast, it's a cold, damp climate and wool is just can't be beat. <laughs> I agree with that. And yeah, you already started talking a little bit about Rambler's Way, but uh, tell us a little bit more about the company. Rambler's Way is a, um, a casual uh, lifestyle brand. Um, while we, uh, in fact, make some products that are designed to be worn next to the skin, we've never tried to be a performance uh, type brand. Um, we are making men's and women's clothing, um, knits and wovens and all kinds of things, but that are meant to be uh, appeal to a conscious, uh, environmentally minded consumer um, who is thinking about where their fiber comes from, the fiber in their clothing, uh, how it's made, um, um, sustainability and renewability are, are key facets of how we think are, are key aspects of why we uh, identify with wool and are of interest to the people who uh, follow and purchase Rambler's Way. Um, we're a family-owned family business. Uh, I work with my father-in-law, a brother-in-law, uh, and sister-in-law, among the other 
professionals at the company. And this is the second business for our, our owner, uh, his first business, which he ran successfully for uh, over 30 years, was a, a natural oral care, a toothpaste product. And so we, we bring a, um, uh, a family-owned family-owned family values orientation to what we're trying to accomplish uh, with a apparel, wool apparel product. And if I understand correctly, Rambler's Way has actually quite a unique um, story. Can you maybe share that? How it, what was the reason for starting Rambler's Way by, by Tom Chappell, the, the founder? Sure, yes. Tom Chappell, um, he was... It was actually uh, on the heels of, of selling uh, his first business after 35 years. Um, in 2006, he was hiking in Wales with one of his sons and thought that he had packed appropriately for a trip and the conditions, uh, sort of a farmhouse to farmhouse uh, hike. And he found that he was damp and smelly and uncomfortable um, with the products he had to keep him warm and dry. And here he was hiking across the countryside, often through pastures full of ranging sheep. And it, it was not a uh, quantum leap to say, I think I could, you know, make a better product than what I'm wearing. And why wouldn't I do that with wool? Um, and, and while retirement or golf and grandkids were compelling, he, he really wasn't ready to hang up his, uh, businessman's suit and, uh, an idea for, uh, Rambler's Way was born. Over time, the, that product vision grew in sophistication so that, um, the intricacies of fiber quality and manufacturing capabilities became more important. Um, but yes, our, 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 our origin story does come down to a hike in the countryside of Wales. Yeah, I love that story. And thank you for sharing that with us uh, once again. And uh, yeah, what I also understand is that um, because of his experience that Tom already had with his toothpaste uh, company, he also found it very important to have really strong values connected to Rambler's Way. Can you talk about these values and how they are reflected in the company and the products? Sure. Um, well, well, first of all, I, I, I don't want to gloss over the idea of, of wool, wool as a fiber and a, a textile um, is something that we recognize. So in the Northeast here in the States, you know, we are surrounded by the remnants of a once thriving woolen industry. Um, I mean, I'm sitting in, a, in an old mill on the edge of a river uh, that was part of that, that industry. And Tom Chapel having innovated um, a natural toothpaste product um, had very specific ideas on how he didn't want to make a textile product. Um, so when we started, we actually started by going and looking for fiber. Uh, 
we didn't go into the marketplace looking for made wool textile. We went looking for fiber and started to build our, our textile product from the fiber forward. Um, it was very important to us to have an understanding of how uh, the producers, U.S. producers in particular, were uh, managing their, their land and livestock. It was very important for us to understand um, how the wool was, was being processed, scoured, combed. We wanted to know the input in our supply chain as well as the output. So we were spending as much time on the mill floors as we were in the water treatment facilities, trying to understand the effluent that was created in the process. Um, when we started in 2009, there was, there was not a, a superwash scouring train available to us uh, in the United States. And our supply chain was uh, being built 100% sourced and, and made in the United States. So we couldn't, we couldn't pursue Superwash and honor that American-made product goal. Uh, working with the American sheep industry um, and some fantastic expertise, uh, we were guided to uh, a finishing a different treatment protocol, uh, an enzyme treatment or the simple X um, process for knit articles. Um, we were trying to avoid the use of, of chloric acid. Um, we've since learned more about that process, and we've since um, gone deeper into the treatments and the, the, the types of dyes. Um, but these are these are these are primary examples for us, Elizabeth, of how our values are at work in the brand, wanting to have firsthand working relationships. I, I call it from the ground up on, on the farm to understand how the land is managed, the livestock are managed, but then also looking at the processing, uh, applied chemistry or lack thereof in the making of our products. Um, this absolutely harkens back to a toothpaste that was using uh, na uh, naturally derived products to affect, you know, clean dental hygiene. So you really became students of wool, as you say, from the ground up. <laughs> That's a fantastic way to put it. Um, um, Tom Chapel actually grew up in the textile industry. His, his father was involved in uh, the woolen industry in uh, Rhode Island and Massachusetts. But we absolutely have tried to sponge up as much information as we could all along. And we've had really remarkable support from uh, the U.S. industry, um, but as well as, as the global industry, folks who have been more than willing to talk with us and help us learn more. Um, and it's, it's important to note we've had that opportunity because we own the fiber. So we're a commission-based manufacturing model. We have discretion and oversight into the process. But that's also how we, we learn. That's also how we, we identify opportunities to innovate. Oh, great. And you say that you are mainly or 
uh, sourcing all your wool in the US. Can you tell us, like, take us on the journey from the farm to the shop of your all-American wool products? Please describe a little bit in your own words. Sure. So, um, first of all, we're working directly, uh, or I should say have been working directly with fine wool producers here in the U.S. Uh, those those large larger scale commercial flocks would be in Montana and Wyoming, Colorado, Idaho, and to an extent, New Mexico. So where we are sourcing fine, you know, grade 80s or super fine grade uh, U.S. fibers, they have to be um, a particular length. They have to be long staple fibers. Uh, we put together a blend uh, from a number of different wool producers. Then we bring that wool across the country to uh, South Carolina, where there's one single U.S. combing mill. So we can scour and make a combed top at that mill, uh, Chargeur uh, USA wool. We have a great spinning capacity in the United States, uh, more so than we, we were led to believe initially. Uh, but in particular, we have been using uh, Kent wool, um, also in South Carolina, um, that have a great um, conventional spinning as well as compact spinning capacity. Um, then our goods move up. Uh, we have been knitting in the past in North Carolina, uh, circular knits there, a very fine 28 cut um, uh, knitting machinery, dyeing and finishing at the same mill. Um, and then we would bring the, the fabric goods to our own uh, sewing facility here in Kennebunk, Maine, as well as some other um, commission sewing around New England. More recently, We have uh, grown this supply to include knitting, dyeing, and finishing in New England, uh, to include um, spinning here right in Maine, uh, package and yarn dyeing here right in Maine. And these last three elements, um, all New England-based, are global organic textile manufacturers. Um, and that has been the recent evolution of our wool supply. We have initially dipped our toe and are digging in deeper to developing a uh, or a certified organic wool product. Um, so while we are maintaining a U.S. supply chain, we are simultaneously developing a global uh, wool supply chain. Um, built around the need for organic wool uh, that is certified to the GOTS standard. Yeah, is, so is your decision to, or is kind of the existence of the GOTS standard enabling you to then source your wool also internationally? Is that what yeah. kind of convinced you to? Y yes. So, You know, this this working from the ground up and, and uh, sourcing fiber and owning the fiber forward in the process, uh, when we decided, again, based on 
uh, our values of uh, low low to no chemical input in uh, in in the manufacturing. When we started to learn more about uh, the GOTS standards, we felt very powerfully that they that GOTS was a standard system that aligned with a lot of things we held dear. But there's not a lot of certified organic wool in this country. We also, as a, as a company, uh, arrived at GOTS because there is, as a lot of your listeners will know, a very finite supply of fine, long staple uh, wool available in the United States. So we have we have always had the challenge of of uh, volume of of fine wool, U.S. sourced fine wool. So as we looked abroad for sourcing, we felt restricted in some ways to be able to quickly jump on a plane or get in a car and go and establish those firsthand working relationships with our suppliers. And so we needed we needed standards and certifications to help us with that. And GOTS is, again, what we felt aligned with, with values we held dear. And so we've been using that as a sourcing strategy as we look at, at uh, sourcing fine, long staple fiber uh, internationally. Okay, that is actually quite interesting um, way of, of yeah, making a decision and that the certification is actually enabling you to expand your business. I, I never looked at it that way. So thanks for really sharing that. It's, it's a new perspective for me. And can you also, while we still talk about um, Rambler's Way, talk a little bit more about your target group and also let us know what is your target group's understanding of wool? Our, sure. Um, our target group is, is still relatively broad. I mean, we are, we are trying to appeal to, you know, the, the 30 to, to 60 year old. It's millennial to baby boomer. And when we, when we started, I, uh, we were more on the, the baby boomer uh, consumer. Um, but as we have um, worked deeper into the sustainable side of our business, sustainability and And taking on the challenges of trying to make, you know, the most sustainable wool textile we can, um, we found we were learning more and getting an increased response from those, the millennial age group, the conscious consumer, um, who's thinking about um, the concept of stewarding more and consuming less. Um, and a lot of young people are coming into um, that group and thinking deeper about what they put on their bodies, um, not just what they put in them. And, you know, of course, over time, we are, um, as we all age, we're thinking more and more of that millennial consumer. Um, and... Um, You know, on the web, on our website side of our business, which really is not my area, for instance, we have to think about folks who are increasingly making all of their purchase decisions from a, a handheld device um, uh, and how we talk and showcase our, our, our brand and our products. 
So that was a real a real eye opener for us. <laughs> so you have actually retail brick and mortar retail stores as well as an online shop. That's correct. Yeah. Yes, we we have a website, um, and then we are in a process of opening uh, more of our own uh, bricks and mortar stores. Okay. Yeah, and my second part of my initial question was that the question if your consumers already know wool or if you have to educate them about wool, because often yes. we find there are some, you know, prejudices that wool is itchy and scratchy and too hot. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, all of our all of our customers have an orientation with wool. Um, and on the, uh, uh, a lot of them their their experience with wool is that it can be great in really cold conditions uh, some of them might know wool wool's benefits in very damp conditions but a lot of them still believe that that wool is scratchy and uncomfortable and we certainly have heard more than a few times oh i'm allergic to wool um and of course we our answer is well you you haven't experienced our wool <laughs> Um, you need to give uh, Rambler's Way wool uh, a try. Um, um, educating around the benefits the, um, is a big is a big deal for us. It's um, we want to we want to um, let folks know that wool really is uh, can be a four season fiber. Um, There are four season wool fabrics um, that wool isn't just about insulating uh, against the cold. It can be for keeping cool and insulating against the heat. Um, but yeah, there, there's a large, there's still a relatively large burden of education around wool. That's one of the reasons why we have opened our own stores. Um, we had a wholesale business for a number of years. And there were plenty of times where those uh, those folks would say, "Oh, you've got a lovely product. Come talk to, talk to us in September." <laughs> and um, by opening our own stores as a, a business strategy, we can showcase all of the different things we make, uh, represent the brand how we choose to represent it, and then take on that 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 educate that education of the consumer firsthand because. I mean, we're just really excited about wool and remain so, and wanna wanna share our enthusiasm and what we feel as the the really good, the great compelling reasons to be excited about wool. Yeah, and and th through talking directly to the consumer, you also get immediate feedback that you can react on and use in your business as well. That's true. Um, And we in the in the stores we're operating now, we actually have on on site sewing and some tailoring. Um, so not only can we um, have firsthand uh, interaction with our consumers, but we can also we're developing a capability to respond to some of what they're asking for or or want to see from us. Wow, that sounds really innovative. I would like to see that live once. <laughs> And you already mentioned a few challenges during our interview now, but what would you say is your number one challenge today in your business? Um, from, you know, we're, we're a business that's trying to grow. Um, and we're a business that um, 
is trying to open stores to pursue and and you know blow up this this vision for our brand. So, you know, from a business growth standpoint, access to capital uh, to grow a small family-owned business is is definitely a key challenge for us. Um, you know, we're trying to uh, tell the world about Rambler's Way. We're still relatively unknown. Um, and we're trying to, you know, raise money to do that. That's not simple. Um, and it's, you can find yourself very much alone trying to build a business when uh, you don't have uh, access to all the capital you need. Um, and you don't have lenders that uh, are lending to businesses that's still in their infancy. Um, so that's a growth challenge. And that will, you know, affect um, some of our volume and uh, speed to success. Um, we've also been inherently challenged from, from the start with uh, quality sewing of our products. That's, that's why we have been building out our own sewing capability here in Maine. Um, the very fine, very lightweight, um, what we would consider luxurious knit fabrics we make are very live under the needle. They're not um, uh, a typical sweatshirt or French terry or fleece product. It's a little bit more uh, performance or sports market and a little bit easier to handle. Um, you know, we our lightest weight wool jersey fabric is, you know, four ounces per square or, you know, 140 grams per square meter. It's it's like pantyhose. <laughs> and that's you have to have some pretty great skills to sew a garment out of that. So our answer has been to, to, to increasingly train and invest in our people and um, do it ourselves. And do you expect more um, textile manufacturing to come back to the U.S.? Do you see a trend there? Um, you know, I wish I had a great crystal ball answer to that. You know, it, on this end of the phone, Elizabeth, I, I see all kinds of activity um, that, are, that are businesses, the this, this scale of Rambler's Way and smaller. You know, a lot of startups Uh, particularly around um, the circular economy, recycling, upcycling, or um, boutique scale, you know, artisan um, unique denims and unique wovens in cotton or wool. Um, and I, I, I think that's all very hopeful activity. Um, I know there has been large-scale reshoring and reinvestment in the U.S., um, and there's a lot of talk about larger brands' interest in moving more uh, to the U.S., particularly on the West Coast with uh, California, where there's a lot of garment production, and on the East Coast here in New York State. Um, again, I don't want to overlook the remarkable spinning, yarn spinning capacity the U.S. has and knitting that could be built upon and expanded still. Um, we heard plenty 
when we started around the dying or dead U.S. textile industry. And we, we've not experienced that. It does take some creativity to piece together and build the U.S. supply. But there's, there is a capacity here, and there are lots of strong indicators that it's not gonna, going away, um, that it can continue to grow in small and hopefully larger ways. Um, I referenced our GOTS supply chain. Uh, I want to note, um, because I think it's important, even though we are outsourcing certified organic wool from outside the U.S., we bring that, that uh, what becomes a spun yarn back into the U.S. for knitting, dyeing, finishing, sewing at the earliest opportunity. So even though we are, we have a, a international sourcing and manufacturing strategy as well, there is a U.S. base here that we can rely upon to finish our and make our fabric and clothing products. Um, that if if the U.S. textile industry was dead, we just we just couldn't even consider that. Um, but there's there's lots to offer uh, in the U.S. on the textile and apparel side for sure. Yeah, and we also seeing. I live in Germany in Europe, so we're also seeing similar trends on the small scale of reshoring. So let's keep an eye on how things will develop in the future. My last question I would like to ask you um, because you told us already your journey that you were went on for Rambler's Way. What is your biggest learning that you can share with others who are trying to look to work with wool and maybe also start their own fashion business? Well, I mean, first of all, wool is a fantastic option. So if somebody's interested in starting their own fashion business, um, I, I don't want to discount the exciting um, recycled and um, natural fiber, you know, bamboos and viscose and all these other fibers that are out there. It's the evolution in uh, textile fibers has been quite remarkable and Rambler's Way has benefited from a lot of, a lot of uh, the growth in, in, in textile manufacturing for sure. But, but we, we certainly are choosing wool um, as being able to answer a lot of um, needs for, for a product. It just, wool has wonderful um, natural um, resiliency. It lends great stretch and recovery to a, to a fabric product, excellent drape. And then you have, have all the natural properties of wool. Um, when you get in deeper to fiber qualities, you can influence the quality of the hand and the softness. Um, so we just feel it's a great textile option. Um, and I'm not just, of course, speaking about knits, wovens as well. There's opportunities. The other thing that draws us to wool is all of the opportunities to utilize manufacturing byproducts. So byproducts of combing or byproducts of spinning or byproducts of even cutting and sewing. There are, there are so many opportunities to use the fiber that 
that comes from those processes beside, alongside the hoped for finished product. Um, you know, there aren't enough hours in the day and days in the year to make products or the potential products uh, that, co that come out of the wool manufacturing process. I don't want to take away from other fibers, but boy, it's just when you start thinking about uh, felt products or even skincare products, uh, wool is really, truly remarkable. Yeah, nothing gets wasted in the wool industry. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. And boy, that's how very timely. Mm. What, a, what, a, what a very timely subject. So um, in any case, yeah. Great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, before we close, what is the best way for our listeners to connect with Ramda's Way? Well, certainly our website, um, uh, which we try to keep up to date. We're, we're updating it as we speak. <laughs> we also have a Facebook page, Rambler's Way Farm. And uh, we're involved with Instagram and Twitter and all that. But our, our website is a wonderful opportunity to learn more about our brand, how we do things, where we come from, where we hope to, um, where we hope to go, um, and what we're up to. Excellent. And I will make sure to connect to your different social media accounts and the website also in the show notes so that it's very easy for everyone to find out more about Rambler's Way. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time today and I wish you lots of luck in the future. Oh, you're very welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you again for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you and bye-bye. Bye. I really enjoyed talking to Nick Armentrout from Rambler's Way today. If you want to connect with Nick and Rambler's Way, check out the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 047. That's where you can find all the links that were mentioned in today's episode. Once again, go to elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 047. Just a quick heads up from my side, I am taking a two-week break from work and from the podcast. But I don't want to leave you hanging, therefore during the next two weeks I will be republishing two previous episodes that I enjoyed recording very much and where I learned from a lot. And maybe you have not yet heard them and hopefully will enjoy listening to them as well. Rest assured that I have more great interview guests lined up for you right after the break and the next new episode will air on 12th of October. I wish you all the best, thanks for listening and bye for now.